Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Baseball is Good. My name is Corey Engelart. I am the host. Tonight's episode is the 24th episode of my show, and it's been a fun time doing this so far. If you've been listening in the last few weeks, before I've brought the guest along, I've kind of given updates on, on my uh, house and living situation. And before I bring my guest on tonight, I just wanted to announce that uh, Sunday of this past weekend, uh, we accepted an offer on the house. So the house was on the market for about three weeks, which is apparently fairly normal time in real estate world, but fairly anxious and nerve wracking in selling your own house world, which is what we were in. So to get a good fair offer and, and accept and hopefully move forward um, in the next month or so when we get to closing is pretty exciting. So it was a good weekend and Thanksgiving coming up tomorrow. Good time to uh, be remember to be thankful for, for everything that we're lucky enough to have in this life as terms of family and friends and that sort of thing. But um, I guess moving on with that, my guest tonight is a family member and a friend and, and somebody I've wanted to have on the show for quite some time, frankly, ever since I started it, because I've inferred about it in the past shows um, as far as uh, learning to love baseball and learning to play baseball. This guest of mine is somebody that I, um, I believe learned to love the game because of participating with him as a younger child. And I'm excited to talk about some of those moments and um, catch up a little bit because I, I don't see my cousin Andy nearly enough. So um, without further ado, I'm going to bring him on the show and we're going to get started and, and maybe be nostalgic for a little bit. And I hope you enjoy. Hey, Andy, are you there? I sure am. And that was one heck of an open is there any way I can have you uh, introduce me at every single meeting or uh, other situation I'm in? Because that was impressive and, and pretty humbling. Well, uh, I, I do accept the finder's fee, so we can discuss that off air. But, yes, I can totally do that for you. Um, I would be open to looking at rates for what a regular full-time job would be where you work. Um, and we can do that. And I would only really want to work from about 10 a.m. till maybe 1 p.m., maybe three days a week. Uh, if that works for you, I can totally make that happen. You know, we can we can have that happen. Otherwise, a uh, an open house present it sounds like might be in the works in the next few months. So, congratulations on uh, this this pending sale of your uh, of your home. Oh, thank you. Yeah, closing is set right now for the end of December, and the couple that bought the house, I don't know them personally. They they seem like this is a starter home. The home we're selling is a starter home, and it seems like they're uh, hopefully nice people who are, are looking for a starter home and can use it to to benefit their family moving forward. And that's kind of what we were hoping to find in, in a home sale, somebody that would love this area and love the house that we are moving out of as much as we did, basically. So I'm excited for that and for them. Um, Andy, why don't you, I guess, kick off this show with who are you? Like, why are why are we talking to you? Like, where are you from? Um, let, let's start with that, Andy. Andy, who are you? Where are you from? And and if people listening to this show want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for that to happen? Well, I will say uh, I'm very humbled to be invited to this. You certainly have a lot of people that have a reason to be on uh, Baseball is Good. 
I wasn't, uh, I've also not been a professional musician. Uh, I was not a trombone player that uh, plays in symphonies. I was the first chair trumpeter, uh, but at Lester Prairie High School, there really was only one chair. So that didn't, uh, that, that didn't uh, set me apart in any way. Uh, but my name is Andy Ross. Uh, yes, as Corey introduced me, I am uh, I'm a cousin, and I learned a lot about baseball from him. So I think because this is Thanksgiving coming up, uh, there's a very reason to uh, to be thankful and have family on. So I got to imagine that's the only reason that we are uh, you're invited me into this onto this team. But um, I'm a huge baseball fan. I grew up in in Minnesota. Uh, split time between South St. Paul, Minnesota, and Lester Prairie, which is an hour due west of the Twin Cities, about 1,500 people. I uh, went to high school there and, uh, you know, ventured, ventured uh, south to Winona, further east to La Crosse, went further east to New York, back to Minneapolis over the last, uh, you know, 10, 15 years. And um, now I am living in Ridgefield with, uh, with a dog and a four-month-old baby and, and my wife and could not be happier. Yeah, congrats. You're, you're, you're a dad. Like, we need to get into that more. But, that, yeah, you've, it's amazing how life changes. Uh, part of me will always think of the relationship that you and I have as being um, 12, 13, 14 and competing in the made-up games on the in the parking lot or at a baseball field um, playing against each other. And, and it's kind of just, it's weird to think how that time is longer ago than how old we were at that time. Um, it doesn't feel that long ago to me, but to reminisce and be nostalgic about being 13, 14 and playing games together is, is just really fun, I guess, in a lot of ways. Well, I, I am not surprised that you're nostalgic about rem- remembering memories like that. Uh, on the other end, since this is Thanksgiving, of the uh, 146 to 11 beatings in football um, on the day after thanks, uh, you know, Thanksgiving Day where we would play, um, it's probably remember, you remember that really nicely. Uh, I remember it a little differently. But, no, ton of fun. And, uh, yeah, life has certainly changed and a lot of wonderful twists and turns along the way. Uh, fatherhood is amazing and surprising and humbling in ways that, uh, you know, you, you learn all over again, but I'm only four months in. I've got a lot, a lot to learn from you from boys that are well over two years old and, uh, it is a blessing. Agreed. Well, I had a couple of questions from, uh, regular listeners sent to me who, uh, know you fairly well. And you mentioned that you were a first chair trumpeter. Um, when you were in school. I, one of the questions was from Mike from St. Paul who asked, why in the world did you give up on your acting and music dreams? It was something that you could have maybe gone to Broadway to be a professional actor. And he wants to know why in the world you gave up on those dreams to pursue whatever field you want to call you pursued. Well, you know, I was always told growing up that I had a face for radio, and I never really knew what that meant. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I think uh, why I grew up on those dreams. Well, I did sing very well. I didn't play very well trumpet. I couldn't really dance. Um, so I had to find a different profession. I think that I would leave a lot of people disappointed and, and looking for their money back if uh, if I went the arts route. <laughs> 
That's fair. I, I hope if Mike from St. Paul is listening, um, that that gives whoever that person is a a perspective of we can't always follow all of our dreams. And maybe maybe Andy's dream uh, singing in the Sound of Music as a seventh grader in front of literally dozen of people, maybe thirteen people, and and just blew their minds for how. Uh, I was going to say amazing, but I don't know if that's the right word choice. Uh, could give him pause to think maybe there are other avenues to pursue a, a livelihood. I, I don't know if I'm explaining it well enough. Do you, do you remember that experience, Andy? Did it, did it frame your gifts in a way that you thought um, acting is something I should pursue or or – or how do you how do you view your acting career? I guess. Well, I will say that I peaked early uh, because there really is not much beyond being a Van Trap child. So you know, once you listen to the sweet sounds of Edelweiss, I think that uh, it's all really downhill from there. Uh, you know, the one really memorable uh, moment that I have from that experience, uh, besides you know the singing and the dancing and all the makeup that goes along with it, uh, actually ties back to baseball. So in seventh grade, uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, play on the freshman team. Uh, Again, we had a small school, so not very impressive. But I was on the freshman team, and uh, we – I had a game, and it was – you know, we had the the bus left about seven minutes after the end of one of the showings of The Sound of Music. Uh, I was Kurt. And uh, I had a choice. (laughs) I could either take off the the makeup or I could uh, change out of the – Van Trapp children uh, uniform outfit. And uh, in a rush, I I chose the outfit and didn't think about got in the baseball (laughs) uniform and hopped on the bus and no one said anything. And I was pitching that day. So uh, I was psyching myself up and ready to go. And I got out there on the mound, warm up, and everyone was feeling good. And, you know, it felt like I was in control or the hitters, just the timing was off. And, you know, that's pitching, just disrupting timing. And so I, I went after it, and I had one of the better games of uh, of my career. And my coach came out there around the fourth or fifth inning because that's all really I could throw at that point and, you know, said, you know, really great game, Ross. Uh, I think my wife has to make a remover wipes if, uh, if you've got any interest in that. And I never – I didn't know what was happening until that moment. I never had a straight face, and – I think that that uh, was one of the more embarrassing moments of my life. But uh, you know, thanks for thanks for bringing that up. It's great. Well, no. In fairness, I did not personally bring it up. I, the caller and regular listener, was interested in this topic. So I I I, I like to bring the information to the listeners that they want to hear. So I, I don't know that. Think of me more as the as the messenger rather than the the person necessarily looking. I, I don't want to embarrass you um, outright. I think everybody else maybe does, and I'm just helping helping that happen. Well, we are we are well beyond embarrassment at this point. So Mike from St. Paul, <laughs> uh, you know, thank you for the question. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, singing and acting was a great talent uh, until I realized I had none, and uh, it was a really fun memory to bring up on this show. So uh, thanks thanks for that. <laughs> Well, uh, okay, so speaking of fond memories, we had one other regular listener who who sent me a question that wanted to be discussed on this show. 
and uh, Will from St. Cloud. He is a regular listener. He's actually been a guest on this show. He wanted to know, he had heard rumors that at one point in your life during your college years, you were a tour guide. And he was curious if you have any memories of your time as a tour guide showing prospective Winona students around the campus. You know, memories, uh, I think that would be a difficult time. I know exactly, the, you know, if I'm guessing the right will from St. Cloud, uh, memories were hard to come by uh, on that fateful day and, and that evening. Um, I, I have heard stories of being a tour guide. Uh, in fact, I, I heard most of them the, the following day after that fateful occurrence. Um, I, it's interesting that I must not have been very good because the uh, the tour that I was leading, I don't think any of them actually ended up uh, returning to Winona at any point. So, uh, Will from St. Cloud, I appreciate the question. Uh, certainly was not a very you know successful tour guide, which doesn't uh, necessarily uh, lead confidence in my current career in sales. All right, well, uh, you, you brought it up, your career in sales. Uh, Will, Will from St. Cloud had one other more baseball-focused question that he wanted to ask, but um, what, what do you do? Where, where do you work? What is a regular work day for you like? I've been trying to explain that question for a few years now, but uh, I guess the best way I can do it is I work in, I work in advertising. And uh, so I, I don't make the ads. I don't write the ads. I don't even produce the ads. I am the person that uh, helps facilitate the ads being made, which is probably the least glamorous role of all of them. Uh, but as a kind of title, I'm a group account director for an advertising agency in Minneapolis named Yamamoto. And we've got about 50 people, and uh, we make TV commercials and you know radio ads and websites and all the things that help solve business problems. And so in my role... I am, you know, in many ways the salesperson that, you know, helps try to understand what the client is trying to achieve, and I'm the person that connects the dots, and in other words, the orchestra conductor that kind of leads the trombones or the first-tier trumpets in uh, what we need to do to solve the, the problem in the most effective way possible. Okay, so uh, in your role of what you do with Yamamoto, do you – Okay, so let's say it's a it's a Tuesday, doesn't matter the month or the or the year, but a, like a Tuesday morning. What does a regular workday for you schedule wise look like? When do you get to work? Do you actually take a lunch? Do you get to sleep ever? I know you have a four year old daughter now, <laughs> but what is a what does a regular workday for you look like? And then on top of that, if you you know like to see your wife or <laughs> relax at the end of the day or look up a sports score or something. How, how do you how do you manage your your schedule, which I know is not a typical nine to five? How do you ma- mm-hmm. let's start with your work schedule, and then um, what what is a day like? I guess for you. Sure, sure. I think one of the things I love about advertising is that, uh, in all truth, I I don't exactly know what I'm I'm getting into every single day that I go in, and you know my day generally will start. Um, you know, online via email, responding to to questions from clients by like 7:30 or so. Uh, I'm in the office around eight, 
Um, at that point, I am mostly in meetings from 8 to probably 3 or so. I, I typically take lunch at my desk. I know this sounds glamorous. Uh, so for all of you mm-hmm. that watch Mad Men, it's sure not does. exactly like that. Yeah. Uh, so after that, I am, once I get out of meetings, actually the, the real work begins. And, uh, you know, I probably get home between 7 or 8 most nights. Um, and I will say that, you know, my my wife is a saint, and she has been incredibly supportive at every stop along the way, uh, from across Wisconsin to New York and back to Minneapolis, and uh, and fully supports it. Uh, I don't know if that says volumes for you know what she thinks of hanging out with me, but she has been very receptive and and welcome and willing to uh, to be that support person. But I I absolutely love what I do, and and it is truly a hobby for me, and. You know, for the hours that I, I do put in and, and trying to help clients and, and the team that I work with, there's a lot of flexibility that goes with it as well. You know, you, you can leave and do what you need to do throughout the day. So uh, advertising, you know, never necessarily sleeps, not to quote a Wall Street movie, but um, it, it is it is always on and it's always interesting and everyone's always trying to look for the next edge and the next opportunity and uh, I am I'm truly fortunate that I get to work with a team that I do that is as dedicated as they are, and, and it's a lot of fun. Sure. Well, okay, so you mentioned Mad Men, and I am, I am familiar with that show. Who, if, if your role was on Mad Men, who would you most closely relate your role current day to what Mad Men had? <laughs> the problem is I don't know that I actually like Anyone on Mad Men? Like, I don't, I don't want to be identified as any one of them. Uh, Sorry, I, have, I, I said that wrong. Great. Then I'm not saying, I'm not saying you have to like any of them. Is uh, your your specific title? Is there somebody on the show that had that title? I guess. Yes, there is actually, and so by the creative directors that uh, that like to bust my chops, they call me Pete Campbell. So I okay. would be the uh, the swarmy Pete Campbell that will do anything for the client in order to uh, make an extra dollar. And yeah, are you? Uh, do you appreciate that, or is it something you don't really like to bring up um, on podcasts or that sort of thing? <laughs> I think um, I appreciate the passion that Pete brought to his job every single day, the commitment, the sacrifice that he put in. His tactics, uh, I can't really identify with them. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, generally when it comes to most of the things on Mad Men, you know, it is a romanticized view of what advertising could have been in, in the 60s. Um, but I would say that, you know, it is competitive. It, it certainly is. And uh, it is fast-paced. Uh, and you do get in, in stuck in challenging situations, but, you know, the rest of that is uh, definitely romanticized and, and not the reason why any of us are actually in the business. As fun as three martini lunches might be. Yeah, it sounds good to me. I don't, I don't see the problem here. I guess, just opinion-wise. <laughs> well, yeah. So um, I appreciate that description. I wanted to get Will from St. Cloud's other question in that he sent in. The other day, um, before we get rest, the rest of the show um, started, I guess, or continued, um, Will from St. Cloud is, is a person that I would argue is not talented at fantasy sports. So 
so I don't know if we need to take his opinion with more than a grain of salt, but Will is also a person that um, you know, you have met mm-hmm. in real life, and he is a person that has strong opinions about the athletic ability and talent of your favorite um, baseball player as a child and maybe still Barry Bonds. And Will from St. Cloud, it was not even really a question more. His his stance is that Barry Bonds is not even a top 10 giant of all time, let alone baseball player. And he wanted to get your thoughts on that completely normal, level-headed, unbiased opinion. Well, I got a lot of thoughts there. And, uh, you know, Will, Will from St. Cloud, fantastic question. I mean, obviously, Corey gave you a ringing endorsement about your experience with not just fantasy sports, but I think you could extrapolate that to sports in general and, and, and ergo baseball. Uh, so, like him or not, I know that Barry Bonds is a very polarizing player. And, uh, yes, he is, he is certainly one of my favorite and probably my favorite baseball player of all time. And for the podcast, list, podcast listeners that may still be listening or, or have not, you know, stopped this audio recording at this point, uh, the reason why I originally liked Barry Bonds is because uh, Corey, your podcast host, is a Ken Griffey fan, uh, junior, not senior. And he uh, and I needed someone to combat him uh, in the early 90s and, and mid-90s and ongoing. Um, so, number one, I didn't get fleeced in trades because I don't know how many Pat Mears for Ken Griffey Jr. trades I agreed to, um, but when you're a Twins fan, it doesn't really work out for you that way. Uh, so, one was self-preservation in the trading market. Uh, the second was Barry Bonds had flash and was very confident uh, you know, he threw left-handed. I also am left-handed. And uh, so that started it. He's also very good. So, you know, I, I, again, I'm going to be assumptive about who Will from St. Cloud might be. I know you said that I know him. I know that his favorite baseball player of all time is, is Matt Williams. Um, so, you know, I think the follow-up would be, is Matt Williams in the top 10 of uh, San Francisco Giants? I have had the discussion that, uh, he believes that Matt Williams is actually a better baseball player than, than Barry Bonds. Uh, which is Sorry, to, just to be fair, he said giant. So his time included the New York Giants, but continue. Sure. And so, you know, there's a lot of fantastic, you know, New York Giants, you've got Monty Irvin, uh, you've got young Willie Mays, who, who went on to be a, a San Francisco great, uh, McCovey, uh, you've got Juan Marichal, uh, you know, you could even talk about Jeff Kent if you wanted to. Kirk Ruder, Sean Estes. You know, there's a lot of fantastic New York uh, and San Francisco Giants out there. You know, I think what you know, if you're a uh, if you're not a stat head and you look at kind of the four or five stats, uh, you you know, to take PEDs out of the the circumstance, uh, Barry Bonds has all the stats, all the counting stats that you want. If you're if you're a stat head and you want to talk about war. Uh, you know, number two of all time behind Bear, of, uh, behind Babe Ruth. So, you know, I'm not sure how much validity the the question of is Barry Bonds a top ten giant of all time really has. I think, you know, popular opinion he might be top bottom of ten. 
but from a talent standpoint, from a production standpoint, you know, I, I don't know that we need to spend much more time on that question. Well, yeah, so a lot of the players you mentioned, Marichal, Mays, Kent, uh, Kirk, Kirk Reader, amazingly, was not listed in his top ten, which I think was an amazing oversight on, on Will from St. Paul's part. But there are other players that were listed in his top ten. I'm going to pull that list up right now, and we can mm-hmm. we can discuss maybe where Barry Bonds falls in that list on your terms and, and where, if we're looking at 11 through 20, I almost have to imagine Will from St. Cloud might begrudgingly put him in that range. I'm not certain, though. I can't speak for him. I'm not him. I'm not speaking on his behalf. But I'll pull that list up now, and, and we'll just see where Will from St. Cloud thought Barry Bonds, um, the players that he would place ahead of him as far as Giants lore. Go right ahead. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of like we're spending a lot of time on fake news, but, uh, you know, should be interesting. So yeah, Will from St. Cloud said Willie Mays, Willie McCovey, Matt Williams, of course, Jeff Kent, Juan Marichal, Will Clark, um, Orlando Cepeda, Mel Ott, he's going back many years, Christy Mathewson, again, many years, Buster Posey, and um, I think that's it. I, he spelled the name wrong at the end here, so I'm not going to continue on that list. Um, uh, what What are your thoughts as far as who on that list jumped out to you that would even be for you in the discussion of greatest giants of all time, especially with the uh, omission of Kirk Rader? Well, I think that, uh, you know, Christy Mathewson, uh, was an absolute star, and I know he's one of your personal favorites. Uh, it's it's hard to compare players of, of the past to, to now. You know, I mean, I think bigger, faster, stronger, et cetera. Uh, Jeff Kent, you know, I think that he voided himself with an ATV accident. You know, he was he was a fine second baseman, but uh, that doesn't necessarily fit. Make better choices. Uh, I also think that, you know, he he, he disregarded Madison Bumgarner, who had one of the top five pitching performances, uh, I would say, in the in the history of the World Series, uh, which was an interesting selection. Maybe he's more about the longevity of a career than he is uh, anything else. I think that uh, Will Clark, you know, while a, a fancy fleet, uh, you know, nice defensive first baseman, great, great stick, definite on-base percentage, you know, not a Hall of Famer. He, he He's a Giants Hall of Famer, which is great. Uh, I think there's certainly some personal bias that goes into this conversation, um, some, you know, personal probably issues with my own uh, beloved nature of Barry Bonds. And uh, Matt Williams, number three, is actually really interesting to me. Um, there's a lot of helium for Matt Williams, it sounds like, and I'm I'm not exactly certain why. Okay, so extrapolate on that. Why um, Why are you not certain why, I, I guess? Um, there is a lot of love for Matt Williams, maybe in the ether or maybe even just from Will from St. Cloud. Uh, do you have specific thoughts about Matt Williams? Yeah, I, I, I sure do. You know, I, I'm sure he's a, he's a fine person. I, I can't say anything against his character. We certainly read things about him in the press, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know who he is. Uh, from a from a third base perspective, you know he won four Gold Gloves and 
went to five all-star games. He, he certainly had a productive career. You know, you could argue Woody would have, uh, you know, Woody has beaten Maris in, in 94 without the strike, you know, possibly. That's great. You know, he certainly benefited from other people that were all spinning in that lineup. So, you know, there's that. Um, you know, I, if you look at, and I'm just going to go off the cuff here. I, I don't have any notes or thoughts, but I'm, I'm trying to remember now. I think Matt Williams comes in like 225th in war, uh, you know, right behind Mike Cameron. Uh, and I don't know if Mike Cameron is, is really on the top 10 list for, for very many people. Uh, again, this is just a ballpark here, but I think he, I think he had 46.4 war in about 17 seasons. I, I might be running, rounding up or down there. Um, but I, it's interesting that, that that's the stat, and, and he's got the helium for Matt Williams, 46.4, 225 in the war. Very solid, you know, obviously well above replacement level player. You know, if I were just the, the, the 11 to 20 ratio for that Bonds where he was thrown in there, you know, I think if you had any idea, Corey, if you could guess how many years did it take Barry Bonds, 46 in war, uh, from his his original his start of his career in, in '86, if you could just guess, uh, probably about 37 years. Well, again, now I'm a little worried about your uh, baseball <laughs> good validity, <laughs> but uh, uh, no, it took him six years. So uh, you know, okay. Matt Williams, 17 years. He was a he grinded <clears throat> out a gamer, had some really good years. It took Bonds six years. Uh, actually, June of 1992. Uh, to where he beat uh, Matt Williams' entire career for war. Uh, and actually, again, I'm, I'm also, if you don't mind me continuing here, thinking about... No, go on. Yeah, so I'm thinking about, you know, Barry Bonds. So, let's see, six years in, he's just starting to hit his stride. You know, he was born in 64, Barry Lamar Bonds, July 25th, uh, you know, 1964. Uh, he, uh, 1992, he's 28 years old. Uh, you know, he's really starting to hit his prime. Uh, they've switched him around in, in a couple of different outfield positions. He's transitioning from a speed player to a, a home, more of a home run hitter, really figuring out his game. You know, it, even if you don't like Barry, and there's a lot of people that don't, uh, I mean, he's his first name like I know him, I, I don't. But uh, even if you don't like Barry, he he's a good ball player. And so, you know, let's say that uh, you go until, let's call it 98 the end of 98 into 99, that's where the alleged uh, PED use came into play and his head started to swell. So for the six years between 92 through 98, he had a 50 war. So before he ever touched any PED, uh, he was well over a hundred war, which yeah, allegedly, well, you know, I, allegedly. So let's say completely clean through 98, Allegedly, after that, he had a battle with some cream and some clear. Who doesn't? Uh, but ultimately, a hundred war, and uh, he did that in uh, in the in the time period that Matt Williams had his entire career. And so, Williams in 17 seasons had a 46 war. Uh, Barry Bonds in about 11 or 12 had a hundred. So, in fewer years. He had more than double the war, and hard-pressed not to say, uh, during that same time period, he had eight gold gloves to Matt Williams' four. So before Bonds even allegedly 
wipe the clean or the clear or whatever it may be. Uh, he was pretty much statistically twice the player that Williams was, uh, which is not really refutable. So, you know, the idea that Bonds is, is outside the top 10, Matt Williams somehow had helium to number three. Uh, you can debate the number one or the number two. Williams, Willie Mays might be one of the best athletes of all time. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm seeing some holes in this argument here. Okay. Well, uh, to be fair, I don't need this to be a piling on and it feels like it's getting personal and that's not what it's meant to be. But uh, I can say in Williams defense, no one ever licked their shoulder while batting as well as Matt Williams did. And we can agree on that. Plus really neither of them uh, bonds or Williams ever dove headfirst into first base with the veracity and the, um, just the the grit that little Nicky Punto did. So in some ways, they're really far behind um, Nick Punto in a lot of ways as far as greatest players that have ever played. Your thoughts? There could be someone that uh, has an opinion like that, and God bless them. It's a free country. It is, and that's what makes this country beautiful. I have to agree, and I appreciate your uh, patriotism showing through. Great. All right, well, so I hope that helped answer the listeners' questions. My next question that I wanted to throw out to you is the question I've kind of asked everyone on the show, and we sort of alluded to it earlier. Um, Why baseball? Why do you love baseball? How did you get into loving the sport, and what – what maybe made you appreciate the sport for what it is and has become for how you view it um, now as an adult? That is a really big question. Um, But uh, I will try to keep a fairly succinct answer way more than I have given thus far. Uh, I think I I first came to baseball through my dad uh, who always wanted to play catch. You know, he, uh, he sent me to all the University of Minnesota camps, and you know he was a, he's played stratomatic baseball, uh, if, if you know what that is, uh, for about 30 mm-hmm. years. And so you know you think about the analytics and situational hitting, and um, you know those types of stats. That that was kind of bred in me at a very early age, which is uh, which is kind of a, makes me appreciate some of the more analytical side of things. But I think baseball has always been calming for me. I think I've always felt a rhythm in the game and you know, there's a different pace of of play there than it is in anything else. I've always found it to be a more thoughtful game than, than most everything else, which is largely athletic in nature. And you know, I, I I started very early. I was an awful, awful baseball player, uh, when I was little. And uh I think through just your passion, truly, and and part and you know playing with you, playing catch, uh, you know losing very badly to you at tennis ball, baseball, or home run derby, uh, you know I, I grew to to actually love the game and have an appreciation for it. So I think it it started with my dad, and and we would play a lot of catch and a lot of wiffle ball, and uh, you know was continued with you and and your dad and. 
uh, you know, you ever whenever we got together, we were either trading something or talking about sports or, or you know, playing baseball or doing hardball baseball online, hardball three or whatever that may be, making ourselves on teams. And uh, I've always just kind of been around it, and I've always had an appreciation for it. And, I again, I think it is uh, – I think it's a perfect game, and it has a ton of rhythm. And um, I think I, I just appreciated it from a really early age and got into stats and – um, and loved it. Sure. Well, you've already mentioned Barry Bonds. Um, were there other players that you, as a younger player, tried to emulate or throw like or swing like because you liked following them other than Barry Bonds? I actually took a lot of a lot of cues from you uh, and and your dad. I remember uh, at one point I was trying to learn a changeup and. For someone that throws a gravity fastball, a, a changeup is just a sh- slower changeup. And uh, you both were, were teaching me, trying to teach me a circle change and all these different grips. Uh, and, and somewhere your dad said that uh, I reminded him of Jimmy Key. And so I remember after that happened, I, you know, you mentioned that to me. And I'm like, oh, I'm just like Jimmy Key. So I went home and, and uh, wrote a letter to Jimmy Key with a self-addressed stamped envelope. And uh, he ended up writing back uh, with a signed baseball card. And, and I remember just that moment. And then from then on, just tried to follow him. A, a you know, smaller, uh, smaller bodied lefty with not a really overpowering fastball and some, some really some off-speed stuff. So I tried to kind of emulate that. I think everyone kind of appreciated the Rick Keel story. Um, I, I think that you know, what he did is, is incredibly impressive, not just as, as a left-handed pitcher, but making it back after, uh, after the yips and then, you know, transitioning to an outfielder. That's an incredibly rare story. I mean, he was the better version of Brooks Kieschnick and a lesser version than Babe Ruth. Uh, and somewhere in there is, is uh, something pretty great. But let's say, you know, Jimmy Key and, and Ricky and Keel, and I was not much of a hitter. Uh, so I was no Matt Williams, but, um, I would say that uh, you know I I I probably went more for the left-handed pitchers uh, than I did anything else. Yeah, that's cool. So you kind of mentioned tennis ball, baseball, and for you and me, that's I wouldn't say an inside joke, but it's an inside story. Like you and I both um, know what that was because that's what we did when we were younger. Um, how would you explain to somebody who? didn't play that version of how we played it, what that was. I would call it my first experience with bullying as a child. <laughs> but uh, Go on. Yeah, so tennis ball, baseball uh, is really Corey and Andy. You know, we would start by selecting our favorite players at, uh, you know, uh, all the positions plus pitcher. Um, and then we would make an order of them, a batting order, and then we would go out into either kind of the front of the garage or at a, a local park, and uh, and we would play. But the rule was that you had to swing on the side of the hitter that you selected. So if you, you know, you select Jeff Bagwell, you got to hit from the right side. You know, if you select uh, whomever that may be from Barry Bonds from the left-hand side, you got to hit like a lefty. Uh, and the interesting thing about that, Corey is older and, and wiser than I am, uh, 
he always, for some reason, selected right-handed hitters, and I always, for some reason, really like left-handed hitters, even though I hit right-handed. So those games got pretty lopsided. But uh, we would emulate our, our favorite players. Uh, we would pitch to each other. Uh, we would throw as hard as we could, and, and um, a miracle that neither one of us had Tommy John surgery. Um, but, uh, yeah, that would be tennis ball, baseball. Yeah, and I, I, I know you mentioned bullying. Uh, to be fair to the listeners, I am almost three full years older than Andy, so um, just natural progression, a 15-year-old uh, who was basically the same height at 15 that they were at now 36 compared to a 12-year-old who um, – how how much taller are you than, you than your 12-year-old self? I guess I don't know that – um, we're about the same height, give or take a little bit now, but 15-year-old me was absolutely larger than 12-year-old you was. Yeah, I think you probably had about 80 pounds and a foot and a half, if I remember correctly. <laughs> no exaggeration. That's clearly how it was. I can't argue that. <laughs> but yes, I, I remember um, we called it tennis ball, baseball. We also played with baseballs. But tennis balls were when the backstop typically was one of our family's garages or house walls to throw against as the catcher rather than a chain link backstop at, at a local baseball field. And that's why we, we used that version. But really the same rules for creating teams applied in both sense. Um, we would go through and you or I would pitch like the person we picked um, but then we would have to uh, – first base would be Jeff Bagwell, for instance, and you'd have to try to have the extreme uh, stance where he would have his legs about six feet apart, if I remember right, basically. And uh, if you were picking Cecil Fielder, you'd have to have the huge hitch, that sort of thing. Um, and, and you said that you picked a lot of hitters that were left-handed hitters. I know you loved Barry Bonds, but – Really, um, there was some strategy in terms of picking players for our version of baseball growing up. <clears throat> I know a lot of times when I picked a pitcher, our, our games, I feel like, were a lot of Darren Dreyford versus Jimmy Key. That's what I remember because I, at the time, liked Darren Dreyford's leg kick. But um, part of the show, I think, just because I want to be nostalgic, is I was hoping to... Um, draft teams to hypothetically play against each other, even though both of our shoulders don't work and we're much older and slower and not in baseball shape anymore compared to what we like to think we can do. Um, is that something you're up for, or are you wanting to maybe try and um, walk through how we did draft teams and maybe somebody out there is going to listen to this and think, hey, that's cool, I kind of did the same thing? I would love to do it. In fact, I think we should sponsor – a uh, tennis ball baseball match next spring as well with the players that we select tonight. Okay. And, and location to be determined, but it would probably be best shown um, at somebody's house that has a garage that you can throw against. Does that sound good? That sounds fantastic. How do you want to start? Well, so for the prep for the show, we didn't really talk about, we obviously didn't talk about planning for talking about Barry Bonds. Um, 
that was all off the cuff and we knew nothing you knew nothing of the questions I was going to tell you before the show, so that's very clear. But for planning for the show, we did talk about how I wanted to do a draft and each of us draft teams, um, but I wanted you to be able to select the rules um, for our draft so there would be some description of the type of players we would be looking for. And as the draft unfolds, as I understand it, we're going to take turns on position. So one of us will pick catcher first, the other one would pick catcher. Then the other person would pick first base and vice versa, just kind of like a snake draft but for positions. And then we would keep track of that and at some point do a very poor version of what younger teenager versions of us would do, I guess, 20, 20 some years ago. But um, yeah, uh, what what were the rules or qualifications that you set up um, before we were going to do this draft together? Well, I've given a, a lot of thought about this, much more than the uh, off-the-cuff Barry Lamar Bonds answer that I gave earlier. But, uh, you know, we could go yeah, back uh, to... Yeah, speaking on that, I, just, just an aside, I was amazed that you were able to pull numbers like you did regarding war and and where people placed historically just off the top of your head. That is really, really impressive. You know, I thank you for that. I think that we all have passions in life and we, we hold numbers and things that we care about dearly close to our heart. And you can recall them much like you can your wife's birthday or your anniversary. And, uh, you know, Ooh. not saying that Barry's, Barry's stat line is, is anywhere near that, but, uh, you know, it's, it's close to me. It's the important things. I agree. Yes. <laughs> so I've given a lot of thought around how we might do this draft and, you know, we could do time period. We could go back to the 12 year old versions of us, uh, and go back to the Andres Scalaraga and the Julio Franco and, and all of those names. Uh, but I, I've kind of settled on a, on a strategic approach, which is uh, obviously we're both GMs uh, in this fictional, you know, two-team league, but we're playing for five years. And so the players that we select are going to be on our team for five years. And it's a best of five uh, at the end of the year. And, and obviously we're assuming that each of the players we select are healthy, um, but you have to apply for a natural regression based on age and, and performance, et cetera. So the strategy being, if I select Clayton Kershaw, who's he's one of the top 10 pitchers of all time, is he going to remain that way when he gets to 35-36? I don't know. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion is a beast right now, but he's, I don't know, 57. So when he when he's 62, you know, is he going to be able to hit the same way that he does right now? So I think that, um, you know, the idea being we'll, we'll select teams for the next five years as if they're going to play each other you know, and it's a fictional World Series each year for five years and best out of five. Okay, well then, um, one qualification question I have is, um, are we going to cater it, not cater it, that's the wrong word, but are we going to, the players we decide, are we going to have them play in their current home park? Like, I, I'm, I'm more asking for uh, fields like, hypothetically Colorado, if we're taking Colorado players, would they be hitting at their home park? Or if we're taking pitchers from, say, San Diego or, or other heavy favored pitcher parks, would they be throwing in their 
home field? Or is there, are you just saying like the players we pick are going to be playing at the um, driveway with the, with the um, garage door, um, and that's what we're dealing with. We are playing at in front of the driveway, and if you do, if you go up all far enough, it goes into the pool over the fence across the street and the other other neighbor's yard. Good to know. So, not seven thousand uh, feet above sea level. Just we're playing at at the old house two houses ago from my parents who do not live there anymore. We're we're playing at that sort of at that sort of field. That sounds good to me. It's kind of a level playing field for everyone and really it's it's as good a field as I remember having growing up. Yeah, I would call it the uh the Wrigley of the east side. Um but I would also say that uh it's almost like Sandlot rules, right? Like we're we're going back in time to that. Sure, that sounds good. So um, your qualifications, just so I understand it, are it's our two teams playing basically a best of five over the course of five years. And whichever team would hypothetically win at least three of those five years would be the team that would, I guess, win that five-year championship window. Is that is that right? Am I understanding it well enough? You got it right. Okay. Well, how do we how do we get the uh, proceedings started? And how and how, how many positions are we picking? How many starting pitchers? How many relievers? Are we picking a designated hitter? Like, what are the what are the guidelines? I hate the designated hitter. Uh, I'll be completely honest with you. So I feel like. We are picking. Uh, we're picking one through nine. Well, one through eight, not one through nine, and then we're going to pick uh, two starting pitchers and a reliever. Okay, a reliever, and then um, could you hypothetically pick a starter that you would say would be a reliever, or does that person have to be a reliever at this time? If this person is a reliever at this time, they're eligible. If they are a starter that you could see being a reliever at some point, they're ineligible. Okay, and then we're not picking bench options, correct? No bench options. Okay. So imagine Eduardo Escobar is, uh, unless he's your starting third baseman, is uh, probably not on the list. Okay, and then uh, just for other clarification, if we were playing this game on a PC in a hardball three, hardball five type concept, uh, we may have the computer just autofill some bench positions and other starters and other relievers. We're just picking the one through nine, um, two starters and a reliever, correct? But not a designated hitter. That is exactly correct. In fact, we're actually picking uh, starters uh, number two and number three in the rotation because you and I would be the number one on each of our teams. Oh, that sounds good. Um, I am good with that. Do you want to, for starters, pick a right-handed and a left-handed starter, or does that not matter? You know what? Well, let's do that. That's actually fun. We'll do we'll do a righty and a lefty for each. Okay, and then the the reliever doesn't have to be a right or left-handed pitcher necessarily. Nope, that's correct. All right. Well, how do you want to start? Do you want to start with catcher? Do you want to start somewhere else? How do you how do you want to do this? I think let's do catcher, and uh, since I'm picking the rules, it feels like you should have the first selection in the uh, player draft. 
Okay, is there a time clock or or something to help with uh, to keep this this um, draft rolling, or are we just going to try to go as quickly as we did, like I think we did when we were doing this in real time? Well, I think that the uh, for the sake of the listeners, if we could try to keep it under about 10 or 15 seconds per, that'd be fantastic. And uh, afterwards, I would certainly encourage people to weigh in on who they think the better team is. I'm sure that Corey at some point can recap who uh, who was selected, and I'll be taking notes as well. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. You have that paper and the pen. Um, <laughs> I would appreciate you taking the notes, and then I can put this up on Facebook for for people to comment on. That would be that'd be fun to see who people think have the better overall team. Um, does that sound good to you, Andy? Let's make it happen. You start with catcher. All right. Well, I've had a couple of beverages, and I'm not – I don't have internet in front of me. So if I have a specific position and team in mind, if you could help me out, I'd much appreciate it. Um, but my catcher, I'm going to pick – as much for defense as I am for offense. I'm going to take uh, J.T. Real Muto of the Marlins. I think that that was actually a uh, a typo. You were looking for Chris Jimenez, I believe? No, he's my relief pitcher. (laughs) All right, J.T. Real Muto to Corey. Uh, My selection, so... I'm between uh, two or three people here. So, you know, is Gary Sanchez for real? Obviously, he's got the power, but, you know, not the strongest defender as of yet. Um, You know, I think uh, I'm going to go with Selby Perez. He's 27 years old, uh, which which he seems like he'd be a lot older than he is right now. But I would say one of the top three or four defensive catchers in the game, uh, not just by the, you know, confusing gold glove standards, but by, you know, others considered as well and, and has a strong stick. Yeah, good pick. I, I, I um, kind of wish I would have picked Gary Sanchez, but you're right. Uh, I, I like your pick. Salvi has absolutely uh, caught about 800,000 innings over the last three years, and his knees are not going to – I'm surprised he can walk at all at this point, but uh, more power to him. <laughs> I believe in them. I believe in them. I mean, look at uh, look at the Molina family. If they can do it, so can Salvi. No doubt. Uh, Salvi is a great player, so good selection. And I picked a right-handed batter because that's what I would do. So um, you're, you have first choice on first baseman, and let's go from there. So because you're selecting after me, I've got two or three of, uh, of real interest. I think – you know, if we get into any off-season plans, uh, you know, I might be tipping my hand, so I'm not going to go that direction. But uh, I think that I will go with uh, Anthony Rizzo as my first baseman. Uh, how old is he now? I can never remember. He, I, he's not young for a prospect, but he is awesome. I, I just can't remember how old he is. Is he 28 yeah, now? Yeah, he, he just turned 28. You're right. Yep. Okay. Well, so then um, my first baseman is a player that I think is criminally underrated in Paul Goldschmidt. Very 
Great. So the thing with Goldie, uh, so he's 30, uh, about to be 31, so there's nothing wrong with that. It's really strange to be talking about age and baseball players uh, that are younger than you and being, you know, Mm -hmm. at the point of being over the hill. But um, the thing with Goldie is that he rakes, obviously. Uh, You know, I think people, if this was fantasy life, we'd be thinking about the, you know, 10 to 20 stolen bases he might be picking Mm -hmm. up at any point of the year. But solid defensive player, and, uh, you know, obviously you're playing for the next three years. So, uh, Goldie, it is. Agreed. And and really, with with uh, if we're determining that the players we're choosing are not getting injured, uh, combination average power speed sort of fantasy baseball term is something that has a lot of weight behind it. But you're right. He... I feel like 13, 14-year-old me would be looking more towards the 22-year-old prospect that's coming up from whatever organization and say that's who I was going to pick. But Goldschmidt has been a favorite of mine for fantasy baseball for the last couple of years, and I think that's that's maybe where my head is 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 looking towards. So makes sense, makes sense. All right, so you're up for uh, for second base. Well, for second base for me, I'm I'm picking. Uh, I think this is an easy choice. Uh, current MVP and three foot four tall Jose Altuve. Can I interest you in someone named Nicky Punto? I think he's making a comeback. Nick Punto is somebody that is still older than I am. I don't think that's changed, and I I think. Uh, I think at this point I'm not interested, Will, from St. Cloud. <laughs> so second base is actually, to me, this, the most shallow position when it comes to, to young talent. I mean, typically it's a, a shortstop uh, that doesn't necessarily have the hands or, or the arms to, to handle it. And, and you know, Dozier's 30, uh, certainly a direction that I, I could ultimately go. Um, you know, I thought about Whit Merrifield, uh, who I think is a, a nice ball player. Uh, he's actually 29 already. Yeah, so he's got a yeah, great amazing name. name. Um, yeah, but I, I I fear that he peaked at 29. So uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh, Jose Bautista's nemesis and uh, Rukned Odor uh, as the uh, second baseman for whichever my team name may be. Oh, I'm liking that pick. If I'm really playing against you, because first he's lefty. And second, a lefty hitter. And second, um, don't look up his stats from this past year to uh, if you want to sleep well tonight. Well, so I uh, I actually really believe in the Rob Deere line. You know, I think Rob Deere was a really fantastic player. Tons of strikeouts, hit 200 with 30 bombs. And uh, I think there's a lot more there. But, I, I, you know, you need someone like an Eddie Rosario that's got a little bit of spunk that's willing to throw a punch and uh, stand up for the team. And I think I've got two right now in Anthony Rizzo and uh, Odor that, uh, that will really stand up for the team. Sure. And, and really the 15-year-old me um, probably, probably deserved a good uh, knock in the nose once in a while. That never really happened. <laughs> All right. So shortstop. Uh, so I shortstop, you have the first here. pick. 
Yeah, yeah. So I think the question here is, uh, does Correa stay as a shortstop? Um, and and that's that's a big challenge. I'm actually uh, I'm going to take a leap here, and I'm going to go Trey Turner as my shortstop. I think that uh, I think he, there's a lot more there than he's already shown, and uh, I believe in him for the next five years. Cool. Good choice. I'm going to take the player who I think is the most talented player in base, in all of baseball outside of Mike Trout. I'm going to take Francisco Lindor. Great clubhouse guy. Great clubhouse guy. All right. Sounds like uh, third base is up to uh, up to you. All right, well, I will take – this is an easy choice for me. I will take Lindor's current Cleveland teammate, Jose Ramirez. So, you know, when, when you're in a situation in fantasy baseball where you've got three or, four, three or four people in your queue that you're really looking to hope to get back to your turn, this is that random selection situation where uh, the, the people in front of you don't pick any of the people you value more than that name. <laughs> uh, so that's that's really interesting. Since there's no one selecting behind me, uh, you know, I, you know, I could go Chris Bryant. Uh, mm-hmm. I could go Manny Machado. I think I'm going to go. Nolan Arenado. Yeah. Nolan Arenado. He is, uh, he will be my third baseman. Good choice. Remember he's playing in a driveway with a backstep as a garage door and not in Colorado, but he's been really good everywhere. So you can't go wrong there. Thank you very much. Okay, so uh, I'm seeing how this draft is shaping up. We are at left field, uh, and and not like fantasy rules where you can kind of put three or four outfielders wherever you want. I'd love to actually select the positions they currently play, uh, if fine by you. Okay. So I'm uh, fine by left that. field. Uh, a lot of sorry, just to be clear, I feel like a lot of corner outfielders can kind of be bunched together and I don't again have a computer in front of me. So if I take somebody that's not a specific left fielder, but can play right field as well, is that going to, um, are you going to basically put up a red card for soccer rules or will that be fine? I may publicly scorn you, but I will allow it. So to me, there's two left fielders for consideration here, uh, especially after Christian Yelich moved to center, uh, this past year. So for me, uh, it is and begins with and continues with another alleged PED user uh, actually confirmed. Uh, Starling Marte is my left fielder. Okay, yeah, good choice. Well, I'm going to uh, take maybe almost former Marlin, Giancarlo, don't call me Mike Stanton. <laughs> As a uh, as a current right fielder, I feel like you know he he can flex and will play left field. I will allow it. Uh, I get the feeling you're going to match him with Judge in right field for uh, some softball team stats, but that's allowable as well. I'm not leading that way, but we'll see how the draft uh, unfolds. The other left fielder, just for consideration, was uh, Andrew Benatendi. Uh, who is the sure. hot fantasy uh, sleeper this year that ended up being a pretty darn good player. So, all right, center yep. fielder is yours. I'm taking Buxton, and it's not close. For the next five years, I think he's 
going to be in the consideration for a top 10 player in baseball for how good he is defensively and on the bases, as well as starting to hit a little bit. Is that pick lot? Yep, absolutely. Then I will take Mike Trout. Figured you would, and that's fine. I like my team. <laughs> it's great. You, you know, I feel like Buxton is a fantastic player. He's got a lot of potential. You know, if everything breaks correctly for him and everything goes well, he will be a top-ten player. Uh, but I am very grateful with the number two pick to be able to take a once-in-a-generation uh, center fielder uh, or player, for that matter. So, All right, well, to right, be fair, Trout is a better hitter than everyone else in baseball, and I will not argue that. Um, but Buxton has not beat defensively. I will also argue that to the end of my days, and I don't think that's even really close. So if we're taking no, war into consideration um, – Five years from now, I think it will be closer, and this is probably a preposterous statement, I think they will be within a within the realm of each other over the next five years as far as overall war is concerned. That's all I'm really going for. Well, we can extend this podcast for about an hour building the bet. That's going to come out of that comment, but uh, you know, I, I do feel like if you're trying to manufacture an actual team and you are a GM, uh, Giancarlo, don't call me Mike Stanton, has about a hula hoop range in left field. So, you know, Buxton at some point has to call him off for about every lazy fly ball that goes that direction. So I, I don't think and that, he will uh, do that, that was an awful that's selection. That's the point. Yeah. He will do that. So that's, that's why you have it since we're not drafting DHs. So we're looking at uh, at right field now, and I've got five people on my list, uh, theoretical off-the-cuff list. Okay. And uh, I'm going to go with uh, Mookie Betts. Oh, uh, yeah, he would have been my pick if you had not um, done what you just did. So I let's see. If not for Mookie, is he, is he completely a right fielder? He can play second base. He can play other spots. Where do you think he's playing um, this Upcoming year, twenty twenty eighteen, for the Red Sox. Because it depends if I get to. It depends if they are trading for Giancarlo. Don't call me Mike Stanton or not, but uh, he will definitely be their right fielder. Ben Attendee is their left fielder, um, and so I think that's how they're gonna they're gonna play out. Okay, well, um, just because. He helped me do well in fantasy baseball, and he's a kid because I think he has as much potential as anybody else, more so even than Mike Judge, if we're playing just with a garage door backstop and not at Yankee Stadium that has a right field fence of about 150 feet. I'm going to take Cody Bellinger, and maybe he's more of a first baseman going forward, but he can play outfield perfectly fine, and I know he's a left-handed hitter, so I'm going to be hitting terribly as him even more so than as a right-hander, but I'm taking Cody Bellinger as my third outfielder. You know what? That's not a bad selection, Cody Bellinger. Uh, you know, one of the best defensive first basemen that I've ever seen. Uh, you know, that aside, I would say that, uh, you know, he will come back towards the amount of home runs you would hit as a left-hander, a left-hander over the next couple of years. I do not think he will replicate the 39 that he did this year. Uh, interesting aside, 
you know, they asked him who he uh, emulated himself and the pattern of his playing first base. Um, and it was Eric Hosmer, uh, which I don't think anyone should necessarily emulate by anyone. But uh, that was his answer of the, the first baseman that he tries to copy. Uh, so sure. interesting. Well, no, that's interesting. So you're bringing up bets that we had. So one bet from many, many, many years ago, uh, probably about 10, maybe more, was I know that you bet me, I don't remember the dollar amount, and it doesn't really matter, that Justin Morneau would have more career home runs than Will Clark. And we've kind of mentioned Will Clark's name already today. And Justin Morneau, um, really sad, if he had not gotten the concussions he had, probably would have um, had more career home runs than Will Clark. And Will Clark had around 300. I don't remember the exact number, but... um, if we're talking other bets, I think our past bets have to be have to be um, completed and paid off. Do you remember the dollar amount that we bet on on something on on the Morneau Clark home run totals bet, or um, are you going to deny that that happened? No, I, I actually 100% agree that it happened, and uh, am disappointed. I'm saddened for Justin Morneau. It cut his career short. I, I definitely think he would have beat the. I think it was like 281 or 287 of Will Clark uh, in his career. But um, I, I, I do remember what we bet on, and it was a podcast uh, snake draft first starting pitcher selection, uh, which, oh, okay. which you know is up for you right now. So you, you get the first selection of starting pitcher. Oh, wow. What an honor. I appreciate it. Um, it's amazing <laughs> that it worked out this way that we talked about it on this night. It's really um, surprising that we would have uh, talked about doing a podcast together before um, really podcasts or the internet were a thing. I, but I trust you completely. You would never lie to me about something like this. So um, part of me was thinking it was going to be like a million dollars that we bet on this because we obviously would have been millionaires by now. But um, uh, drafting in a podcast certainly makes sense and sounds like something that we both would have said in 2004. Totally agree. I mean, you also were going to be starting for the Twins and me for the uh, for the Cubs and Game One of the World Series, and that was our our way to the million dollars. That that kind of went sideways as it relates to shoulder injuries and uh, and you know, let alone all the other talent concerns. No doubt. Well, so okay, so um, if I have first pick for starting pitcher, and we're looking over the course of the next five years. We're also looking at it as this person, um, you can never um, really promise or determine that somebody is more injury-prone than another. So the picture that we're taking, um, we're basically going in with the mindset that this person is not going to be injured at some point in the next five years and um, lose time due to injury. But that said, kind of with your qualifications you were going with, if you were going to pick somebody that's 34 years old, hypothetically, um, just natural progression, that person might not have the same velocity or same strength as a 39-year-old um, that they do at 34. Is that is that am I am I saying it right? You are absolutely saying it right. Correct. So, yeah, we're not determining shoulder injuries. We're not determining back injuries. We're not determining 
um, tripping and falling on a crack and hurting yourself. We're just determining, we're looking for players that are maybe pre-prime years and going into their prime or just out of it, basically. So that um, that is kind of the range of what we're looking for here. So if, if we were to take a pitcher that's 31, 32, know that that pitcher at 37 probably isn't going to be as good as they were as a, as compared to like a 27-year-old pitcher would be. That's it. That's it. All right, you are up. Number one, you can choose a lefty or a righty. Okay, well, um, I think my pick, uh, if we're going for first pick, somebody that's young, that's not yet in their prime, and has shown dominance that can only really, in our model, move forward, I'm going to take Luis Severino of the Yankees. I will tell you that Luis Severino was uh, also going to be my selection. So now I have to go a different direction. I am going to uh, bank on the still young. Uh, you know, this next year probably not the greatest, but uh, Thor Noah Syndergaard, who's 25 years old. Okay. Well, then if we're wrapping around, who is your left-handed starter that you're going to take? Well, I am uh, I'm between three, uh, to be honest with you. The righty I, I also considered, if you went in a different direction, was uh, Brett Honeywell uh, as my kind sure. of sleeper with the with the screwball. I think that for Tampa Bay, he could be a big deal. But my lefty, uh, I think that I am going for the next five years. I don't trust Chris Sale. Um, I think he's. I think he's a fantastic pitcher. Uh, I'm going to go with Robbie Ray as my lefty. Yeah, fun choice, man. You're going to get strikeouts. Um, how old is Ray? Is he 26, 27? That is, yep, that's 26. Yep, you got it. All right. Yeah, I like that choice. He's somebody that I um, have also appreciated in fantasy baseball, and somebody who it's hard to cheer against, who's um, in his second organization and finally starting to figure it out. Sometimes it takes pitches, especially an extra uh, year or two to really um, become um, comfortable with their motion, comfortable with their, their mechanics. And I, I appreciate that selection. My, my um, I, I'm, I'm kind of deciding between two and both of them had some injury issues this year. So it's making it a little bit easier to decide between them because um, for the next five years, they're not going to be injured at all, so we don't have to worry about that. But I, I, I feel like my my selection is somebody that still in their prime, and I think can pitch really well into their early 30s if back issues are not going to crop up. But um, my pitcher is, I think, the most dominant lefty outside of Chris Sale in the American League when healthy, and I'm going to take Danny Duffy. A really interesting choice. Someone that I think um, difficult for the Twins to, to trade in division, but uh, Danny Duffy is someone that's got number one potential for sure. Uh, he's got all the markings of it. That's fantastic. So now we are on the uh, on the reliever. So who would you select as your your number one reliever? 
Uh, man, um, this is a tough. Uh, it's a tough choice because um, historically, other than Rivera and Hoffman and Joe Nathan for a few years, there aren't a lot of relief pitchers that have five years or more of of just dominance. You have pitchers that have two, three years. Eric Gagne, where they're just on top of the world, and then their shoulder doesn't hold up. So the pitcher that I would look for is somebody that is not in our hypothetical world going to be injured at all. And mm-hmm. um, it's kind of an interesting choice. I think the one that I would go with for how, honestly, the most dominant starting, most dominant reliever I've seen in years um, was a cross between Dallin Batanzas in 2016 and Andrew Miller of the last two years. But it's it's hard to put. I, I almost want to pick Craig Kimbrell, based on his um, longer track record of completely being dominant than both of those guys, both with Batantis kind of having a pretty off 2017, and and Miller becoming dominant in later years. But I, I, I kind of hope Miller, just for the sake of baseball being fun to watch, can continue to be dominant too. But Krim, Krim, Kimbrell. Kimbrell's going to be my choice just because he's been over-dominant and a closer now for uh, a huge media market on the East Coast. Um, I think he's going to be my choice for somebody that can really shoulder that reliever load for the next five years. I think if outside of injury, I think he's going to hold up as well as anybody. Kimbrell is a, uh, is a fairly, I mean, heavy used, fairly young, 29 years old. So, you know, I think that he could definitely stick with it. it. You know, again, the next three years for sure will be dominant. Uh, I hope he sticks around for the next five. But uh, but we we so she well, we so she. So I will. I'm between uh, Rizal, Edwin Diaz, sushi, sushi, sushi. Yeah, uh, Rizal and Edwin Diaz and Roberto Asuna are the three that I'm okay. I'm thinking about. But uh, I'm gonna go with. Uh, Edwin Diaz of the Mariners as my next five yeah. years. Yeah, good choice. This was fun. Um, I will. Uh, so I, I would promise the listener that's still listening, um, which is probably you and I, that I will put this these lineups up um, as soon as possible onto the Baseball Is Good Facebook page for people to decide on which one over the next five years would be more dominant. And I think there are going to be people that look at us and say, why was Bryce Harper and Manny Machado not selected? And to those people, um, just know that we've had a few beers tonight, so it really doesn't matter. That's pretty much my <laughs> argument. I don't I don't know that I can come back from that. Um, do you have any <laughs> thoughts otherwise to, to say about our teams before we uh, – and this topic, I, I have one more topic off the top of my head that I want to go to, but do you have any other things to say before we get ready for the spring tennis ball, baseball um, mash? No, I, I will be honest with you. I don't think I, I learned my lesson from the righty-lefty uh, batting situation as well as I should have. Uh, I, I actually ended up more fandom and, and who do I think is best uh, winning that bet more so than – me locking up against your 67 mile per hour heater. Uh, so I think that, uh, 
I think that it should be fairly even from a talent standpoint on the field, as in the hypothetical Wrigley of the East. Uh, from a you know overarching team perspective, voting who do we think is best, uh, I definitely went for the next three years uh, as opposed to the, the full five. So hoping that I, I eke that out. He's got some younger prospects in mind, and we shall see. Sure, it'll it'll be it'll be fun to put pen to paper in a little bit and just uh, look back a few years from now and say like, hey, we did this. We were idiots. That's cool. It was fun. Totally agree. Well, well, it'll be like a hologram draft the next time we do this. Yeah, that sounds good. So, all right. Um, I think we're over the hour, yeah, by quite a bit. Um, you had a couple thoughts just for the Twins off season of what you would do if you were Fed Levine, and I just wanted to get a quick synopsis, and then I think we're going to call it a, a, a podcast for the evening. Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity. I think, you know, most people in Twins territory right now are thinking about, you know, how much money are the Twins going to spend, how much uh, how much could their, their payroll elevate. We don't really know. You know, I, I think from the Terry Ryan days, it's, you know, we haven't been productive in years. And, and this last year feels a little bit ahead of schedule. Uh, now we have this opportunity uh, with a surplus of, of top-end relievers that are actually hitting the market. And it feels like we need to take advantage of this now if we want to capitalize on the team we have and the encore we, we uh, are working with. So to me, I think, you know, the dollar amount, I'm probably, I don't know, most people are optimistic in the 20 to $25 million increase range. I'm very hopeful that we will increase, you know, 25-plus, maybe 30, 35, 40, depending on who we sign. So kind of quickly, who I've been thinking about, uh, you know, I, I don't know that we're going to get, you know, you. Uh, I don't know that we're going to get Otani. I, I love the idea that we're thinking about either a package or, you know, you Darvish as a, as a one-off. I, I've wanted a number one since Johan, you know, and, and the brief fleeting Francisco Liriano experience for, for quite some time. And, uh, you know, I, I'm obviously biased towards a pitcher, but I feel like, you know, the playoffs pitching wins. So, uh, you know, the more you have, the better you are. I don't know that we're going to end up, end up signing one of those. I would recommend going with my pick for the Charlie Morton of 2018 with this Tyler Chapwood, uh, starting pitcher for the Colorado Rockies. Um, you know, he's, he's, if you look at all his counting stats and most of the people that are actually still listening are probably familiar, but he's top 10 for road ERA away from Coors over the last two years. Uh, you know, his, his velocity, like Charlie Morton, has actually risen about two miles per hour over the last two to three years. And uh, from a spin rate, if you're kind of an analytics guy, uh, which I know that, that Felvey and Levine uh, have an appreciation for, uh, you know, he's top ten for spin rate in, in, as it relates to curveball and, and his four-seamer. So I feel like Tyler Chatwood, um, you know, not necessarily a buy low, but someone that I think would be an affordable guy with some higher upside uh, with, you know, obvi- obvious risk, uh, high walk, et cetera, would be someone that we could target um, that could be great. I'm just going to keep rolling. Um, for me, it's, you know, how do we upgrade the, the the pop and the defense on the left side of the infield? Uh, I think that Todd Frazier could be potentially a fit uh, as a third baseman. I, you know, Zach Cozart as well, but uh, ultimately, you know, you got to see what you have in, in Gordon. So, 
I don't believe that Sano is uh, is a third baseman. I think that with the rod in his leg and, and just size, uh, reality is going to sink in, and, and we all know that eventually he's going to move the DH or first base. Obviously, value is greatest at third, but I think that uh, Sano makes the move to DH in first base this coming year. I think we could pick up a Todd Frazier, uh, and then it's about improving the bullpen. Uh, and there's probably, you know, five or six names we're all thinking about the Addison Addison Reeds and Mike Miners and Jake McGee's and Brian Shaw's and Juan Nicasio's uh, of the world. But if we could get two from that kind of second tier, would uh, would be a dream situation for us. So I would say for me, it's it's two from the reliever second tier. It's Todd Frazier and it's it's Tyler Chatwood. If we end up just signing everyone, otherwise, you know, trades are always fun and, and hard to predict. Yeah, I, I like that option. I, I think trades absolutely will be on the table too. It's it's interesting because um, this time of year, it's it's now over two weeks since free agency opened, and the John Carlos Stanton rumored trade, along with the Shohei Otani um, potential move now being permitted to Major League Baseball, I think those two moves have kind of held up the real start of free agency. So once those two moves happen or are confirmed they're not going to happen one or the other, Otani's coming over. That's 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 the move that will happen, but uh, Stanton, I suppose, doesn't need to happen for other moves to happen. But those kind of the, are the moves for me that uh, need to kickstart free agency this year. And once those moves take place it'll be interesting where the twins fall in line if they think 2018 is the year to go all in then i think darvish and a few others are absolutely going to be on the table um but we'll see we'll see what they do i'm I'm excited to have a new regime new regime making decisions um not that money may be a lot different from the owners debated debatably um or maybe it will uh, it's hard to say like what they are planning to do because we don't really know what the new regime is capable of in terms of making decisions for player players to be acquired. So it's, it's exciting to see what will happen. And, and um, I think your blueprint that you laid out is, is as reasonable as, as any that anybody would see online at, at this point in the off season before any signings have taken place of note. So yeah, it's fun to talk about. It's great. I mean, hope is not a strategy, but it sure is fun. And, uh, you know, this last year has been a surprise, and it's it's a it's a really great time to be a Twins fan right now. And uh, there's a lot of optimism for the future, and, and it's more fun to cheer for a team that has optimism than one that doesn't. So that is a refreshing change. Yeah, no doubt. Well, yeah, so um, usually this podcast is about an hour. We've done over that amount of time. And if I'm going to be if I'm going to be completely honest, it's been miserable and I've hated every second of it. But I hope the listeners haven't enjoyed uh, at least a few minutes of it here or there. And um, maybe if anything, it can be used as background noise to help a, a young child fall asleep. I hope that can be the case. The more people that listen is is the better in my book. Um, but Andy, uh, before we go, before we turn this off. Um, do you do you want people to be able to send you questions through Facebook, Twitter, any social media type medium? Is there is there something you would recommend people uh, use to get in touch with you if they want to talk about 
uh, baseball or trumpet or anything that we've mentioned tonight? I feel like I've angered the Matt Williams uh, fans out there, and I apologize for that. He certainly is a, a quality athlete, but uh, I would say, you know, I'm not I'm not a big Facebook person. I, I'm not necessarily on Twitter. I know how to tweet and you know do a snap story and all that great stuff. But if you are interested and curious, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search Andy Ross Yamamoto Minneapolis, uh, and you'll find me. Uh, otherwise, certainly ask Corey and, and get us in touch. I'm happy to talk to you at any point. Uh, I also just want to say, Corey, thank you for, for including me in this. I, I definitely, this feels like a, one of these things is not like the other situation. Um, you know, I, I've I've heard a lot of people on this podcast that have an opinion that I, I really do care about. And this, for me, was just more fun than anything. It, it's been an honor to be part of it. I'm, I'm grateful and thankful to be your cousin, and uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I had a blast. I, I was joking. This was really great. And you and I, we we don't catch up as enough enough as as I would like to. But it's been this show has been a blast, and I'm I'm excited even just to have um, Thanksgiving tomorrow and this weekend to be able to see you and Lindsay and Sophie and catch up a little bit in person too. But um, I guess one last time, other than anything, uh, this is baseball is good. I'm Corey Engelhart, and I hope uh, anyone listening had as much fun listening to it and taking it in as I did of hosting the show. So um, with that, I hope you have a good rest of your night, Andy, and I hope everyone else uh, enjoys listening to the show. Have a happy and and safe Thanksgiving, everyone. Thank you, too, Andy. Have a good night. Bye.